Please be advised that this episode may contain strong language and spoilers. Hello and welcome to What the Forks, a podcast in which we revisit a teenage obsession, Stephanie Meyer's Twilight Saga. We're still finding out if our love for this series will shine eternal or crumble to ash under close inspection. I'm Chloe. And I'm Isaac. And in this episode, we're talking about chapter 18 of the novel Life and Death, Twilight Reimagined. I want to apologise. I mean, the listeners can't see me, but you can see me through the wonders of FaceTime. And I just want to apologise if you see bits of brown on my face, fingers or whatever, it's because I just finished the Ben and Jerry's chocolate fudge ice cream because I was feeling upset. (laughs) (laughs) It's really hot, like surprisingly hot. And I had to walk up a very big hill. There's a place I live near called Alexandra Palace and the palace lies upon a massive grass hill. I mean, obviously I know Alexandra Palace, but the way you're describing it makes it sound so so fairy tale <laughs> in fantastical england lies a palace upon, upon a hill. hill surrounded by stupid people having picnics <laughs> <laughs> playing family games and i understand this is london and no one has a garden but i'm like get out my way but you're allowed a bubble now people are allowed to kiss it's been all over the news no because the thing is i live with three other ladies we have to select one of us to be able to sleep with someone else because that is the bubble But then that person's housemate, whoever they live with, can then not have their own bubble. No, no, exactly. So they're part of your bubble. So what you need is an equivalent household to merge into one bubble. This needs to be a new app. There's money to be made here, I'm sure, somehow. Join my bubble. And it's like, we are a household of four heterosexual women looking for a household. Sorry, sorry. Four beautiful, stunning, surprisingly single. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. You've been out viewing houses today. It's so funny what you can get away with as a landlord in London. What you mean by funny, of course, is criminal. Yes, yes, I do. So that's been the start to your day. I mean, at least you've been out and about and exercising in the sunshine. It's a positive start to the day. It's more than I've done. I've been sat inside in front of the TV. Jealous. I was up at like five this morning, though. That fun, fun pandemic insomnia that sets in. (laughs) I'm so tired. (laughs) Horrible nightmare. Oh my god. The kind of nightmare that I have not had for years. Me and like a group of people people I loved, my family, spending time in a grand house. And there was a woman living in the walls. Like a physical woman? Like a physical woman. This sounds humorous, but it wasn't at the time. <laughs> like Moaning Myrtle meets the girl from The Ring. Oh my. Living in the walls. And I remember my brother, as we're like trying to find the woman living in the walls, because she's like watching us sleep and shit. Yeah. Him noticing like a patch of damp going along the wall leading up into the attic and that's when I woke up. Maybe it'll continue tonight and I'll finally get that (laughs) sweet satisfaction of a finished story but no, I'm I'm sure it would have led to sudden death. Oh, you can't die in your dreams. Mm, Can you not? No, you can't. I think that's a myth. No, it's not a myth. What? Yeah, you can't die. Why? Because say someone like is going to shoot you, you would wake up. Say you are falling and you're about to land on the ground, you wake up or you go into another dream. You don't die. It's the safest place to be. Have you <laughs> Have you never dreamt of your own funeral? Well, yeah, but you're there though, aren't you? You're present. 
Mm. I am not a dreamer. Oh, probably not a bad thing, really. Maybe you just live such a fantastical waking life. <laughs> they say, like, dreams are just your brain processing stuff that you've, like, absorbed during the day and just, like, yeah. sifting out the excess. Clearly, I've got nothing to remove. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whereas my brain's going, you don't need that woman in the walls. <laughs> oh, please get rid of her. I love it if it ends up being me. <laughs> <laughs> Chloe's here. She's followed us. <laughs> She's been in the walls watching us sleep. Hiya! For some reason causing all this damp because she's such a humid lady. Uh, well, it's probably because I made the bath overrun or something. Anyway, we're not going to have an episode out this Friday. I feel we should maybe mention that. We are strictly Tuesdays. Because why? Because everything happens on a Tuesday. Thank you. You know, with the world beginning to open up a little bit, we're not having as much time for Stephanie Meyer. Tragic. <laughs> I'm so upset. <laughs> Don't know how I'm going to go. But we'll be here this time next week. Um, on the bright side of all of this, we're getting to the hunt. Chapter we 18. We are getting to the hunt. The actual plot begins. <laughs> I said last time that I was quite excited and you were like, meh. And now that we've read it, I'm here to say, yeah, I'm still excited. Okay. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Just tell me it's good. The plot. For the hunt. Okay, here we go. <laughs> it is still Sunday. Yes, it is Sunday, the 20th of March, 2005. It just won't quit. It's like Groundhog Day. The nomads arrive and we have Lauren, Joss and Victor. A light breeze flows through Bo's hair, revealing he is, of course, a mere human. And all hell breaks loose. Dun dun dun! Joss is about to pounce on Bo, Edith defends him, and Corrine asserts her authority. Corrine reiterates her invitation for the three newcomers to come to the Cullens' house. Lauren agrees, while Eleanor, Archie, Edith and Bo make their way to the jeep. We discover that Joss is a tracker and has her sights on Bo. After many disagreements in the car, Bo convinces everybody to go back to Charlie's so he can tell his father he is leaving to protect him from the vampires. Bo comes up with the idea that Edith and Eleanor stay in Forks to confuse the tracker. It's decided, after much towing and throwing, that Archie and Jessamine will accompany Bo to Phoenix. The end. You know that you said towing and throwing. Throwing and towing? Towing and throwing would towing normally and be there. Towing? To- yeah. As in no, to- you tow and... You tow and fro. I think you to and fro. To and fro. Towing and throwing. Going to-ing. to and fro. Towing? What are you towing? Towing. Towing. <laughs> okay, let's dig our teeth into this. So, you were so excited. The nomads have been introduced. What do you think? I like them. The vampire world has a very matriarchal feel to it. Yeah, I like it. The fact that we have Joss appear through the trees first and then move to the side to defer to Lauren. The leading role is passed between the women. The fact that when Corrine steps forward, she's flanked by Eleanor and Jessamine. Ernest, Royal and Archie could go up to be supporting Corrine. 
it's notable that it's not. It's the women. And of course, it's because they are flipped female versions of what we saw in Twilight. But they're female nonetheless. And in Twilight, that wasn't remarkable because the human society is patriarchal and we expect men to do the talking. We expect men to conduct the business. We expect men to do the fighting and deal with the confrontation. Yeah. And it got me thinking about the Volturi and hoping that we'll see more of those. But it just is notable that the vampire world, I don't know if you can call it the natural order of things, but the default in a lot of our vampire characters that were being shown seems to be that women take the lead and that men support. And that's cool. Yeah, I quite liked it. I did have a problem with Victor's description. So it says, the man was wilder. His posture was oddly feline. And, you know, previously they're described, all three of them, as cat-like. So that doesn't make any... Why is he oddly feline? Is this just because it's odd because Victor happens to be a man? Yeah, oddly feline. Yeah. Because Victoria was described as feline as well. Her movements were distinctly feline. Whereas when the three approach, they're all cat-like. They're all kind of crouched and barefoot and, you know, twigs in their hairs. But I just thought that was an odd line. Oddly feline. I was like, what, because he's a man? It's odd that he is feline. Maybe because feline is usually a feminine trait, but... But she's just called them all cat-like, so it I'm like, what What are you saying? She makes no sense. What did you make of the description of Joss then? Oh, it's a bit, a bit of sad. A bit sad. Yeah, she's plain. I'm like, I don't think she would be. She doesn't have to be like stunning, but you know, no vampire is plain. To have a vampire's face described as forgettable is really unusual. Really unusual. But then I was thinking, is this perhaps part of Joss's power? That she can pass unseen. Yeah. It's made me think again about casting for our fantasy cast. Yeah, I know. Because I don't know who I could cast as a vampire that might look underwhelming, but still otherworldly. Hmm. We'll see. I just made a note for the next few pages. The exact same thing happened back when we did Twilight, where for the next couple of pages I stopped making notes because things were actually exciting. Yeah, to be fair, I don't have a lot of notes for this chapter. And you know why? Because it's good. Yeah. You're actually engaged in the story. Something's happening, there's pace, there is tension. The next time I really got back to looking at things, they're in the, the monster jeep. Yes. And you've got Edith driving, Eleanor with Bo in the back, and Archie in the front with Edith and they're all arguing about what they should be doing. I really, really enjoy this part of this chapter. Mm-hmm. Really, really like the scene in the Jeep a lot. I really prefer actually Edith, Archie and Eleanor's dynamic as siblings. Yeah, I like Eleanor a lot. She's so unbothered and unworried, but it doesn't feel flippant. It doesn't feel stupid for her to think that either. No, it just feels like she knows. She's very confident with her family's skills and she knows that they're talented and can defend themselves. And I love that she says to Edith, I'm not leaving you, I'll go wherever you go. I love that sisterhood. That is so nice. They all clearly love Edith and Edith clearly loves them as well. Whereas with Edward sometimes, especially in the films, actually, it was very, just seemed a bit like he doesn't give a shit. Bella and Edward are very self-absorbed characters. And whether that just comes from this being romance and so, of course, it's all about what's going on internally between the two of them. It does leave you with characters who really just think and talk about themselves 
and each other. Yeah, I can't wait for Midnight Sun. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to. I know, neither do I. But we will. Yeah. We'll drink more when we do Midnight Sun. I actually really enjoy Edith's fiery temper in this. Yeah. Because it, I felt it was less annoying. I understood more why she was just like, we are getting out of here. Because I think I'm that kind of person. Like, there is danger there. We're getting the hell away from it. And I'm not, we're not talking about it. We're going. And then it would take the people that I love most to reason with me. I suppose. I don't know. It still bothered me a bit. I know what you're saying and you are right. This is probably actually quite a realistic depiction of this kind of situation. It still bothered me. As harsh as I might be being, the unwillingness to listen to reason and to like miss the common sense. When Bo comes up with the most logical plan before anyone else there's a problem. I had the same thought and Eleanor is so surprised that he comes up with it and I'm like, yeah, I'm with you, Eleanor. He shouldn't be the one coming up with this shit. Because he's an idiot. Yes! Bo has been so stupid throughout this entire book. And I understand for Edith not to come up with it. I suppose, because she's stressed during the moment. But what bothers me, because it was the same thing Edward did, is just the refusal at first to listen to Bo to listen to Bo yeah. to listen to Archie to listen to anyone yeah see I was a bit more annoyed that she wasn't listening to her siblings didn't give a shit that she wasn't listening to Bo because I don't think I would listen to Bo but yeah I do understand your frustration and I really love Eleanor's desire for some action I mm-hmm. think that's great and you need that you need just one person who sees things a little bit differently especially in the tension of this you know car um and i love archie's authority and he knows he's the only one that can kind of really get through to edith like pull over pull the car over yeah it's i love it i think it's very very good it's not even necessarily that complex oh, it it's definitely just isn't simple adrenaline <laughs> but you know what i mean it's that it's the sugar rush that we've been waiting yes it's the drama i've been craving we've got the plan then of going to phoenix and they're kind of hashing it out what exactly is going to happen and edith's still not really having it and just like a fun little oh my god 2005 moment when they're going to do the double bluff edith says well what if it doesn't work what if he knows that's where you're going bo's like there are several million people in phoenix and edith says it's not that hard to find a phone book and i was like oh my god a phone book yeah but phone books still exist no they don't yes they do yeah i mean i'm not in it when did you last get a printed phone book i was genuinely going to ask you were they still printing phone books in 2005 they're still around my mind is blown what a waste of paper. Like the yellow pages, that would just be what you would go to to use to like weigh anything down. Yeah, because we had loads for some reason and I would use it as a ladder. Yeah. yeah. You know what you do is for your homework for history, once you'd tea stained your like Magna Carta or whatever you were making, you'd put it under the yellow pages to flatten it out so it didn't get too wrinkled. I did so many Magna Cartas. Oh. And then were you allowed to burn the edges? I was, yes. Oh. I don't even think my adults knew I'd burn the edges. Oh such a rebel i've got one more thing again we're so negative so much of the time that i want to say when i do enjoy something and the romance between Bo and edith as much as it makes me sick to my stomach yeah when it's done correctly and in an effective way it pleases me they're just heading to the house it's just getting towards the end of the chapter and edith says if you let anything happen to yourself anything at all i'm holding you personally responsible do you understand that And I mean, I thought that was a little bit cliche, the whole, like, if you get killed, I'll kill you joke. 
But what I noted was that Bo uses the rearview mirror to look into Edith's eyes and says, ditto, Edith. Which on the one hand is like, oh my god, she'll be fine. You don't need to worry about her. But I found this effective by contrast when compared to Twilight. When the same line was said by Edward in Twilight, Bella writes, yes, I gulped. And that felt like so much of what we got with Bella and Edward, a pressure, an oppressive kind of you have my heart and you will destroy me if you know a lot of this like look what you're making me do because i love you so much a lot of that really dark kind of energy of emotional manipulation and abuse that is kind of absent in this book not entirely it's there and i think we've done our best to call it out when we've seen it but i do think it's just lessened and it's not just because of the gender swap words have been changed sentences have been removed yes i just liked it we've got the same kind of cheesy line about don't let anything happen to yourself but rather than going almost fearfully yes i understand going ditto you too same back to you because if you have this claim on me i have the same claim on you and it feels still creepy and obsessive but just at least (laughs) equal Are you ready to tell the people what your favourite... Or do you want to go least favourite first? What do you want to do? Well, I'll say favourite because I've already said it, really. It's just the whole scene in the Jeep. I love it. Interesting. So not quite the whole scene in the Jeep, but Edith falling to pieces in the Jeep is my least favourite part. Oh. But okay. I mean, we've talked about this. You've said why you like it. I've said why I don't like it. So what's your best bit then? My best bit is in the clearing as we wait for the nomads to notice Bo, when Kareen is speaking to Lauren and we know, because even if we'd never heard this story before, we know that those guys are going to be the villains and that they are going to notice Bo. It would be such a shit book if we got out of the clearing without them noticing Bo. So like knowing that that's going to happen and just waiting for it, but it's not in an annoying way. There's just the build of tension, Kareen trying to be diplomatic and trying to extend that invitation. And the fact that they nearly get away with it. Yeah, I just think it's, I'm going to say, I think this is the best chapter of the book so far. I love it. And then the sudden break, because it all happens, he says like three things happen at once with the wind and and that sudden break of the tension and then we'll go, go, go right to the end of the chapter that just makes that stretch just before that tension breaks so enjoyable and satisfying satisfying okay i was not disappointed yeah no it was a good chapter actually saying that i did think well give me a fight let's have a fight let's kill him or bite him let's end it though i mean we assume that is coming if it's anything like twilight oh and actually in twilight isn't our narrator unconscious yeah but she talks about the pain doesn't she yeah she talks about the pain but we don't actually get any action do we she gets like there was a distant sound as if a body part was and being then removed that and... angel the angel oh yeah fucking hell god i don't miss bella no don't miss edward no what's your least favorite part yeah the fact that Bo wasn't killed or bitten oh okay wow that's it okay yeah i'm like come on but then the book would have ended Oh, okay, good point. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Burning question time. Burning question time. We've never mastered, I say we, I've never mastered a flame sound effect. No. It's like crackling, isn't it? It's like... Oh, do you have, if we had matches? I have a lighter, actually. Okay. I don't want to burn the microphone. (laughs) 
And this will be the last episode. (laughs) (laughs) Because Isaac has fused his microphone cover to his microphone. You know what? When we finally get to our final episode, what I'll do for the burning question is I'll just pile up the books and set them on fire. (laughs) (laughs) And our theme song will play over our screams as my house goes up in flames. What's your question? What would have happened if everyone had gone back to the Cullen's house? So you're asking if on Corrine's first invitation, the nomads had gone, yeah, right, we'll come round, and they haven't noticed Bo. Yeah, but I mean, like, everybody, even Bo going back to the house. Well, Bo just wouldn't, would he? They would run off with Bo and be like, oh, he had to go do something. Fine. Okay, so what do you think Corrine's motive was then, if they would have gone all back to the house? I think she's kind of got two. Okay. The main thing that she wants to do at this point is obviously to get Bo out of the situation safe. But also I think there's a secondary motive, which is to essentially convert more vampires. Oh, so I thought she was going to kill them. Oh, okay. So our minds are in very different places. I want to hear about that. But I still... Kareen, Carlisle, they're a religious type. Mm-hmm. Ah, mm. There's something very evangelical about Corrine and Carlisle. She says at one point, like, it's complicated to explain here, but if you come back, we can talk about it. I think that the nomads would have got a lecture on the joys of living off elk. Mm. Yeah, spreading the good word. Yeah, see, I wanted her to lure them back so that the Cullens could dispose of them because they've been causing quite a ruckus throughout the Olympic Peninsula. Corrine definitely believes in reformation and rehabilitation. Of course, but that's boring, isn't it? Oh yeah, it doesn't make for a very exciting book. Thank you for joining us for chapter 18 of Life and Death. Join us next week for chapter 19, Goodbyes. You can find us on social media by searching at ForksCast. And you can rate, review and subscribe to What the Forks wherever you listen. Until next time, look after yourselves. And remember, we don't miss Bella. Or Edward. Edward.